What is up? How you doing? How you living? How you feeling? It is the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man, and it is time to break down the NFC. I've had time to kind of think about what I said about the AFC. Uh, I'm hearing things out of Patriots camp, which is, I'm like, man, I'm going to look like an idiot. I remember is like, I hope you look like an idiot. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like as soon as those words came out of my mouth in the AFC show, Inver, I'm going to regret it. That's great, though. You stay on that island, and it'll be that thing where if you become a cold takes exposed guy, and you know if the the Patriots are romping to a twelve and four record, you get to proudly wear that badge and just say like, I can't believe I, I did that. And if you're right, you look great. I was fascinated at Peter King picking the Dolphins to win the East, and it's just well, I I don't know if I'm more fascinated at the decision, if I'm more fascinated at people than all of a sudden being like, should we consider this? Because it's like. Peter King, or I'm more fascinated that we still care about preseason predictions. I don't know. It's very interesting. And I'd, I was very confused at the, the reaction to his article. Um, I'm sure, I mean, he's one of the, you know, godfathers of takes. And when he says something, you have to listen. I will say that uh, as soon as I got that Bleacher Report app notification that Fitzpatrick was going to be the starter, I immediately texted my Patriots fan buddies. And I was like, well, that's a lost week one. We just, we can't beat Ryan Fitzpatrick. It is interesting especially Dolphins Patriots that early. Um, Let me just do a quick refresher about some of the big statistics that I was looking forward to for the AFC and now also the NFC and see how it hits. Uh, We were talking about second-year quarterbacks taking the jump. In the NFC, the questions we have there are Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones. Um, Of the two, we'll get into this later, I like Dwayne Haskins' schedule more, but overall I trust Daniel Jones, and of course the one I'm not talking about is Kyler Murray for Arizona. And as you'll hear, when you dive into what Kyler Murray really did last year and you really put it into perspective, it's really incredible, and I cannot be higher on Kyler Murray. In terms of teams that had good records in one-score games in 2019 and how they'll fare in 2020, this is just a recap. Uh, the two teams um, that – or the, the teams from last year – that had really great one-score records. The Packers were 6-1 and one last year. The Saints were 6-1. and one, And the Seahawks were 9-2. and two. And it, it's pretty remarkable, those records. Now, just to give you some perspective there, Saints were 6-1 and one in one-score games last year. They were 5-2 and two in the year before. And, and as I've said, there are quarterbacks who I – and teams I just trust more in one-score games. And I would say that the Saints and Seahawks are two of them. Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, I just feel like they're always making plays at the end of those games. Uh, The Packers, though, I'll get into a little bit later, they're a little bit more scary. And I'm getting Chicago Bears vibes. If you remember last year, I bet against the Bears after they had their big year. Uh, The Packers are now taking over that mantle. We'll get into it, but let's first start with the NFC East Ingber. What do we have as the odds for this division? I wasn't sure if you had any conference odds, so I was going to have a start with the East. Uh, let's talk about the NFC East. Okay, so I'm going to go in order from fourth to third to second to first, or do you want to just start with uh, yeah, the let's team? Do that. All right, so we've got the Washington football team. They are uh, slated to go in fourth with an over-under of five wins. They are plus 2,000 to win the division or 20 to one odds. Um, so if you like them at all, you know, throw down 10 bucks on that, but right. they are 300 to one to win the Super Bowl. That's tied for last with the Jaguars. Okay. Well, who's in third? 
The Giants are six and a half over under wins, plus 1,200 to win the division or 12 to 1 odds and 100 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Your beloved Eagles uh, are nine and a half wins and they're plus 200 to win the division. So nice two to one tasty bet there and 25 to 1 odds to win the Super Bowl and the Cowboys are pretty heavy favorites here in a division that always seems to be up for grabs. They are minus 175 to win the division. They are one of uh, only four teams in the NFC with double-digit over-unders with 10, and they are 12 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. There's kind of a nice little tier bunched around at uh, 10 to 1, 12 to 1 for the Super Bowls, uh, and the Cowboys are in there. My gambling hat would tell me if you want to get value for the Cowboys – you would bet them to have the best record in the NFC mm. because that's something that I can do because there's not enough. The, the odds I do not like to win the NFC East. And I think if you want to get value, you would take the Eagles. Um, and you just kind of go, I'm going to I'm going to bet against these injuries. And I'm going to look at the fact that the Cowboys secondary is super suspect. And I don't think they have depth on their D line. But I I will tell you that I unfortunately have the Cowboys winning the division. And I put that out. I was uh, drinking rum on the beach during Labor Day. And I just said, let me fire off a take real quick. And I forgot how much Eagles fans hate when you do that. And they're just like, screw you. Who are you? And my, my thing is I'm always naturally more pessimistic about the Eagles. I think if we looked back, Ingber, that would be the trend. But I also think that I I'm pretty sure that I've gotten the NFC East champion now four years in a row. Because um, I, I know I had the Eagles winning the division last year, preseason, and I gave them a, we gave them a funeral in week 14. But I was still right there thinking. I think I, I haven't I can't remember who's in what slot in the schedule, but it will it does feel like it always comes down to week 16 and 17 between these oh. final two or three teams, and it'll it'll come down to some team that lost to like the two and 12 Washington or the mm. one and nine Washington football team. And you're going to be saying like, Oh God, if we had just won that stupid game, we would have had no problem clinching the playoffs Week's right 16, here. Eagles Cowboys. There you go. Circle that one in Dallas. Uh, let me start off. Uh, I, what's really interesting is how difficult the schedules are for the other two teams, the New York giants and Washington and football team. Washington has the 25th toughest strength of schedule. The Giants had the 31st, and that's tough. Now, 31st the one toughest, I, meaning it's the second easiest? Uh, no, toughest. What did I say? You said 31st toughest. So My you, bad. 31st okay. overall, uh, Washington 25th overall, so second toughest for the Giants, uh, 7th toughest for Washington. Giants, though... I, I thought I was going to find uh, some some joy when I realized they were two and five in one score games, but then I looked at those games and the the even the two games they won, um, they were not in a good position. It wasn't like the luck of the ball. They got lucky to be in a one score game, mm. factoring in turnovers and all of that. Washington, um, I think if you're a Washington fan, you're going. This has to be all my defense. You know, we got Chase Young. Uh, we added a guy like Thomas Davis, who he knows Ron Rivera. Uh, you know, we get Kendall Fuller back from the Chiefs. And it that D-line is so stacked. The problem, though, when I look at Washington is that offensive line. And beyond the fact that they knew they were losing Trent Williams, I'm reading reports out of camp that there's not a single tackle that's playing well right now. 
and and they also lose Bill Callahan. And I think that's a huge loss for an offensive line. They have the eighth toughest schedule uh, that I mentioned earlier. I think I said seventh, it's eighth. Um, They get all of their tough opponents, though, at home to start. So we're going to learn a lot. I I think if Washington can somehow go 500 in their first six games, they'll have a a pretty good year. The middle of their schedule is easy, but they have the fourth toughest schedule to finish those last four or five games. The reason I have some hope for Haskins They face the sixth easiest schedule of pass defenses. I think Terry McLaurin is a stud. I think that Antonio Gibson, I know I got him in my other fantasy league. The path has now opened for him to be the Christian McCaffrey to Scott Turner. I I see this as in a good year, a seven win team, but I really see them closer to five or six. Um, But if I'm a Washington fan, I'm excited for the defense. For the Giants, I'm going, I need to see that Daniel Jones growth. Um, Second toughest schedule this season, as I mentioned. Um, They're the only team in the NFL that has three short weeks. So three games in which they go from a Sunday to a Thursday or a Monday to a Sunday. So they kind of got screwed over there. Yeah. And Daniel Jones, I swear, the Giants face tough teams right away. They face four straight top 10 pass defenses to start the year. So I don't know if if Jason Garrett can find a way to make it easier. But if you remember, like last year, it's the Jaguar. It's always these tough defenses. Um, and they face a huge jump in difficulty of offenses. I'm excited to see when they, they add in James Bradbury and Logan Ryan on the defense. But it it really sucks losing DeAndre Baker and, and everything that happened. But he brought it upon himself. And I, I think I like the defensive line for the Giants. But I don't know where the sacks are coming from. I mean, when your main pass rushers are Marcus Golden, Kyler Fackrell, and Zimenez, I just don't have a lot of faith. So it, it could be one of those years where Daniel Jones takes that sophomore year jump, but the defense can't win games, so maybe the offense is clicking. But I just don't see the Giants as a real uh, contender. The Eagles, I do have at number two. Uh, and the main reason is these injuries are piling up everywhere. And now it's Jason Peters at left tackle, and I never feel confident that he's going to play a whole year. And this is when he didn't retire slash become a free agent. So Wentz, uh, underrated, so big, and I think he's going to have a really, really good year if if Rager and Deshaun Jackson can stay healthy and get some speed on the field. But I was shocked when I looked at Warren Sharp's book and I saw that they had the fifth toughest jump in schedule and the fit they face the six toughest offenses this year and I, I I think that Jim Schwartz's defenses have been overrated and I think the fact that, that he's losing his leader in Malcolm Jenkins on the back end and now you have Jalen Mills at safety I love Darius Lay in the corners but their linebackers are all over the place Javon Hargraves is starting off hurt um, I, I think that this defense takes a step back this year when I really want them to take a step up I see the Eagles as a fringe playoff team. I have them as a nine and seven team. Um, and I'll, I'll let you know towards the end, because I think they're competing with a team in the NFC West. Um, but the team that I'm most bullish on is the Dallas Cowboys. They have the ninth easiest schedule this year. They're the only team in the NFC East that has a top 10 easy schedule. In one score games last year, they were 0 and 5. Um, They face the easiest run offenses last year. It goes to eighth toughest, which does scare me, especially when they were one in six against those run offenses that were that good. So if you can run against the Cowboys, you kind of hold them back. Um, 
But the first seven weeks, it's the third easiest schedule in the NFL, and I think they start off with a bang. Um, I also look at this team and I go, the Kellen Moore continuation, Mike McCarthy, I think he's going to be a lot more aggressive because everything he's done this year in the offseason has been to impress the analytics nerds, and I think that continues. I was a little bit worried when I saw Lyle Collins is going to start the year off on the IR. But I, I saw that, yeah that with the pandemic, that they've created a new IR. Uh, and this is something that's going to factor in for your running back there in New England. There's now a three-week IR, where usually it's seven weeks. Now they could get Lyle Collins back after three. My, my biggest concern, though, for the Cowboys is their secondary. You know, they went out there and they signed HaHa Clinton Dix, and then they just cut him. You know, they, they, they signed Gerald McCoy, and then he got lost for the year. And they did get Everson Griffin, but it, it does scare me from the Cowboys' point of perspective that they're relying very heavily on Alden Smith, just not a guy I would typically rely on. I, I hope he proves me wrong. But mainly I look at the Cowboys and I look at the NFC East and I look at their offense, and even, even with Lyle Collins going out, I still think their offensive line can push people around. And this is a, a Cowboys team that I see finishing 12-4, and 13-3. I think it's going to be – I think the thing that excites me the most is that Jerry Jones watched what happened in Washington with Kirk Cousins where they franchise-tagged him twice, and Kirk Cousins led them to the playoffs that year and had his best statistical season, and I think that Jerry Jones is going to let that happen to him. And so as an Eagles fan, while I do think Dallas is going to be 12 and 4, 13 and 3, I also think that Dak is a dark horse MVP candidate. And I also think that Jerry Jones, after we just watched money go to Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Carson Wentz, I mean, guys are getting deals everywhere. Not only is Dak going to be last, he's going to have two franchise tags. And I think Dak, I think Jerry Jones is going to have to pay him a lot of money. So that's the one solace I take as an Eagles fan. That was that's how I see the NFC East. Nice. Uh, so you see the Cowboys sort of wrapping this thing up, maybe with two, three weeks left in the season, which just doesn't feel very NFC Easty to me. <laughs> it never that, feels that's like. That's why to me, I see the Eagles at that fringe, and that Week 16 game is huge. Mm. So I think the Eagles play them Week 16, and then I think the week after that they go to they play Washington. Um, so it's always that NFC East. Yeah, it's home against Washington. So um, that that will be an enormous game that week, that week 16 because, remember, the Eagles knocked the Cowboys out of the playoffs. It, they, they took control of the playoffs in week 16 against the Cowboys last year and then beat the Giants to go over. But um, the, the Cowboys every year, man, I've charted it. Playoffs, no playoffs. Playoffs, no playoffs. For the last six years. I go yo-yo, yeah. And I, I, think, I think this is a big year for the Cowboys. Um, two questions, both about home field advantage. So I heard the Cowboys are going to do possibly half-filled stadium, which uh, to me like blows my mind. But, you know, go Dallas. If you can do it safely, good luck to you. Uh, and then that goes along with what you were mentioning about Washington having some home games uh, in the, to open the season. Normally, Vegas says a home field advantage is worth like two and a half to three points. Have you heard anything from like the Warren Sharps or the cracks of the world that it's actually gone down to like one and a half or one point, or maybe even it's just a... I don't know of a, of a, of a 
actual number and that it's been impacted because I was I would imagine that every sports book kind of does it their own way. Sure. But I do know that it's taken less into account. One thing, though, that I was talking with uh, someone about that I'm curious is with all these new travel measures, how does this impact that aspect of being a visitor? For sure. How does that impact the amount of time, the, the you know, all the extra stuff that goes into it? And even without fans, going east to west or going west to east can be brutal, too. And and that's a, another thing is, is we'll, we'll get into this later, like the Niners, they're facing like three East Coast teams on a primetime game, which is like right. a huge advantage. And then even this year, it's more. But I, I was wondering this, too. Is it good to have a half a stadium full of people or is that going to kind of seem pathetic? <laughs> I because honestly the audio is going to be pumped in regardless. Right. I was actually thinking that like if I was in, you know, seven weeks of completely empty stadiums where all you can hear is whistling and shoulder pads mashing against each other. And then you go to an opposing stadium where there are a bunch of fans, even if they're not your fans, it might jack you up. You might get like super excited, like, hey, there's people here that love football. And like the, the opposing team comes in and gets some weird surge of adrenaline. I don't know. I mean, we'll, it'll be interesting to track throughout the season it, for sure. Adrenaline is, I have no idea how to track it this year because I, Look, week one is going to be – there's going to be a sad aspect of week one that I thought about this morning, and I hate to be a Debbie Downer. Because we don't have any preseason games, the amount of ACLs and hamstrings that I think we're going to get in week one is going to be crazy. Oof. I hope not. Because be there's right. been no, like, I'm in a stadium, there's loud people, and I'm going to take it up to 11. Like, I don't know what that's going to be like. But I also wonder in terms of adrenaline – Will it be less? Because there isn't 60,000 people. So I'm fascinated. Um, I know that I was talking to some players last night, and I was like, I cannot believe the season's here. And they're just like, it's never felt like it's come this quickly. And this is truly a year where these preseason predictions are going to look laughable. Because I don't even know if these teams are going to look the same at the end of the year. But oh, absolutely. That, that's my teams? NFC East. I wasn't sure if you had any more prop bets or whatever for that division or if you want to move on to the North. Happy to move on to the North. Let's do it. Uh, fourth through first, we've got the Lions. I'm fascinated at this one because I believe out of all of the divisions, and I don't just mean the NFC, I mean all the divisions in the NFL – I believe that the NFC North is the most up for grabs. Mm. It's the most up for grabs. And I think every year there's a surprise team that wins their division. Uh, For some people last year, it was the Ravens winning the AFC North. Um, I'm trying to think what other surprises were there last year. The 49ers were like 4-12. and The 49ers. I, I think if there's one division where we could really see a surprise, I think it's the NFC North. And I picked accordingly. So, so the I'm Lions. To see what odds I get? The Lions have an over under of seven wins. I mean, the, if you're if you're thinking they're up for grabs, it's very bunched up in the over under wins. We've got seven, eight, eight and a half, and nine. No That's other. That's what I mean. It's it's a crapshoot. Yeah. So all of these teams could finish eight and eight. All these teams could finish ten and six. Clearly, is what Vegas is saying here. The Lions are eighty to one to win the Super Bowl. So definitely the worst odds in the division, but only plus four fifty to win the division, which is mm. exceedingly plausible. Um, the Ravens might have been like plus 350 last year heading into the season. You know, like that's, right. that's not crazy long odds. The Bears are 50 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, also plus 450 for the division, and they are slated to go 8 and 8 in terms of over unders. Packers, a very tasty 30 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. I know you have them as a regression candidate, but I'm sorry. 
Aaron Rodgers wins this Super Bowl. If you play the season out 30 times, Aaron Rodgers wins at least two or three of those Super Bowls, just purely for value that jumped out at me. Plus 200 to win the division, uh, eight and a half wins over under. And the Vikings, 25 to one. Uh, So they're like in that Eagles tier in terms of Super Bowl, 25 to one. And uh, a nice tidy favorite at plus 150 to win the division with an over under of a nice flat nine wins. I am not going to pick four through one on the NFC North. I'm going to give you the three teams that I don't think are winning, and then I'm going to tell you my winner because I don't know how they're going to finish. Mm. But I do want to say one thing. One of the teams that I don't have winning, I'll get right to them off the bat, is the Green Bay Packers. And it's funny because I was just thinking as you were talking about one of the big storylines was Jordan Love being drafted is going to motivate Aaron Rodgers. And we've seen this from Jimmy Garoppolo and Tom Brady to Alex Smith having his best year when Patrick Mahomes was drafted. Mm. The one thing I'll say is it will give him motivation in the offseason. But when Aaron Rodgers goes out there and realizes that they've swapped Brian Balaga for Ricky Wagner at right tackle, when he looks around at his wide receivers and realizes it's just Devontae Adams no disrespect to my guy, Alan Lazard, who I think will podcast. be good. But, like, we're, we're talking about, like, you could have gone out there and made some moves. I know they tried to go out um, and get uh, the kid that was on Indy and uh, the Panthers, and he ended up opting out, which I do think is huge. Um, excuse me, Devin Funches. But I think he's also going to look at tight end and see Mercedes Lewis as his starter. And I don't care how motivated you are. Eventually, you're going to look in the quarterback room and go, what the fuck? The issue with the Packers, in my mind, has never been Aaron Rodgers needs to be motivated more. And so that's my issue with the Green Bay Packers. Then let's factor in this. Schedule's middle of the road, 15th in the NFL. They were 8-1 and one in one-score games last year. They were plus 12 in turnovers, so top five. So the ultimate regression and the two ultimate regression statistics. Also think about this. The Green Bay Packers went from a 7-9 and nine football team to a 13-3 and three football team. My good buddy who's going to be a ghost whisperer for the Thursday podcast because if you think you can pay Warren Sharp and stop us from talking, you just can't. So I'm just going to be really honest all the time because that's my new lane and it's sweet. But this is what he told me on the phone. That in the last 30 years, when teams jumped up by six wins, David Ingber, the following year, zero of them won that amount or more. Mm. All of them lost at least two games or more. 13 of those teams lost four games or more. And the average amount of games lost compared to the year before, six games. So, it's so when there has been a jump by six or more, the average in the last 30 years, that's three decades of the next year, is right back to where they were. I'd be so I found curious. That fascinating, and I was curious what you thought. Super fascinating. Um, I would have guessed the regression would have been more like three and a half, like three to three and a half. Six is actually huge. Trap. So that means some teams went like seven and nine, then went 13 and three, and then plummeted to like four and 12 the following year because. Crazy. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, how much of that is, would be attributed to things like regression, fumble, luck? Well, uh, let me tell you some of the luck. reasons why I think it happened. One, I looked at their schedule. 
Some of the quarterbacks they faced last year, Trubisky twice, Kyle Allen, because it was after Cam got hurt. Mm. They played the Kansas City Chiefs and faced Matt Moore. Remember on Sunday night football? I actually, I, I might've put some money down on that money line. <laughs> they faced Joe Flacco and I had to literally sit there and think, which team was Joe Flacco on last year? Denver. Broncos, they, yeah. They faced oh, I, I didn't know if you were they doing Dwayne yes, Haskins. They faced Dave, Daniel Jones as a rookie. So when there are rookies, you can face them. And David Blau right. of the Lions. So that's one factor. This year, they didn't, they're facing Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, and Deshaun Watson. And they did not face them last year. Um, also, I really thought it was interesting that when you look back at Green Bay, they owned the first quarter and then teams adjusted to that offense. And the second time they faced a team, if they faced a team more than once, their passing offense struggled. Mm -hmm. And that was my concern with Matt LaFleur was that it's great to be around Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, but can you adjust like they can? And that's something that I'm betting against, if I'm going to be very honest with you. And they face much higher run defenses this year. So I'm kind of going against the whole Jamal Adams, A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones. I don't know if I have the Green Bay Packers fourth because I don't like betting against Aaron Rodgers, but I don't have them winning the North. Fair. Uh, next team that I don't have winning the North, the Minnesota Vikings. Am I shocking you yet? I wouldn't say shocking because we did agree that these are bunched together. And yeah. sure, like why, this is this is a great division to take a flyer on somebody and look really smart in three months. FanDuel, DraftKings, this is the way you do it. Minnesota, one thing that really scares me. I, if you look back at the last three or four years, they are the most turnover-dependent win-loss team in the NFL. And last year, they were plus 11. And that's why they went to the playoffs. When you look at them... Every year, almost all their wins come when they win the turnover battle. And last year, they were second in fumble recovery luck. They also were top five in field goal luck. And they were the healthiest team in the NFL. And, gosh, there's just so many things. And Kirk um, Cousins played like a god for about four straight weeks at one point. He did. And they, they are the number one against the spread home team in the NFL the last three or four years in their new stadium. Mm. And you talk about, you know, how it's going to affect the team. We don't know. But remember, that stadium is built for loud noises with the glass doors and all that stuff. And the giant um, Viking horns. This is a statistic that I find crazy. I think it's since 2016. When the Vikings play, because I remember we did it last year, heading into last season, when the Vikings played a team that was over 500 and they played them outdoors. Do you remember this statistic? They were 0-10-1. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, yeah. It was like... Guess what they were last year in those same situations? Like 3-3, three and 4-3? Three, 0-5. And oh and <laughs> so now since 2016, the Vikings, Mike Zimmer's Vikings, when they play a team that's over 500 outdoors, they are 0-15-1. Unbelievable. I, I what I what I'm going to do is the the incredible thing about Warren's book is not just what it's going to give you. This is how much I love Warren. I'll hype up his book, and he's not even on the show anymore. Um, but like my goal is to this is what my value prop is is to read this and then give it to the audience. Do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. 
It's like Cliff Notes. It, I'm doing the work for you. You're, One you're of us has to notes. read this shit. And I like to smoke a daddy cigar with a highlighter and go to town. That's what I'm here for, David Ingber. That's what I'm here for. We had a, a thing when I took AP bio in high school. We had to ruck. You had to read, highlight, underline, and circle. So you highlighted something that you wanted to come back to. You uh. underlined something you definitely wanted to remember. And you circled something that was like a word or a key term. So uh, I could picture you rucking that. Uh, I'm a, that I'm a star. I star it. And then I write it into a Word document. That's <laughs> um, the so. And then there's three teams this year that I think will have above 500 records outdoors, and they play at Seattle, at Green Bay, at Tampa. And so those are three teams that are fighting for playoff spots. Um, I was, it was just fascinating to to see that that number. And but what I was saying about Warren's book though was, um, it's not just about making season long bets. If you can write down a note about something that could happen in week 12, you just got to remember it in week 12. So I'm going to try and write all them down and really take advantage of that this year or even bet week 12 right now and lock in some good odds. But the, the other thing about the Vikings is I didn't realize until I looked at their roster the defensive overhaul that they did. It really was shocking, not just to lose uh, Linval Joseph up front. They lose all of their cornerbacks. Um, they they get they lose Everson Griffin. Now they sign Yannick Ngakwe, but these last few days I've been reading these reports where Daniil Hunter has been missing with an undisclosed injury, and Zimmer goes, we'll see. And I'm just wondering if he's going, you just brought in Yannick Ngakwe, which one of us are you going to pay? So that's my only Adams reading the tea leaves there. Um, they have a, a first-round pick in Jeff Gladney at corner, so they're going very young at corner. It's going to be a lot of pressure on offense when they lose Stefan Diggs. It's going to be on Irv Smith, uh, the rookie Justin Jefferson out of LSU, and that Ola B.C. Johnson kid. And they face the fourth-toughest jump in run offenses faced, and they lose Linval Joseph. I look at the Vikings as a team that they're going to be turnover-dependent again. They're not going to win these road games. And they have a lot of primetime games. We know how Kirk Cousins does in that. They're a they're a seven and nine, six and ten, eight and eight team for me. If you are you as excited as you should be for Jalen Rager yet, or is it still going to be a knife in your heart? If I just Jefferson... wish he didn't have that shoulder injury, so he might miss the first few weeks. Right, but if Justin um, Jefferson like comes out gangbusters, is it going to really? You're right. I have up? not talked about Jalen Rager, and there was a whoa big offseason about Jalen Rager that I saw a few weeks ago. I have categories. I was talking about these categories uh, with uh, Greg um, over at uh, the uh, around the NFL, who I love. And I, I there's one category which is current player compares rookie to all time great. Mm. And I've seen this a few times. The first time I saw it was when Von Miller did it with Trent Williams and compared him to like Jonathan Ogden. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, seventh round pick. Because current players don't do this. Coaches do this, current players. And Carson Wentz said that Jalen Rager gave him Julio Jones explosiveness vibes. And I was like, wait, what? It wasn't Carson Wentz seems to have good relationship with JJAW, Art Stegel Whiteside. So I, I really believe that Rager could explode. And that's why I go the Eagles. Like Rager really is the guy I think that can take them over the top. 
And so I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to experience it with this kid the whole career. I hope people, every time he has a big game, tweet my crap out and make fun of me. I would love that. There's nothing way, I like is, more than burying the Eagles and them being the undertaker. I love that it. That is such a football thing though, right? Like we usually have to give Luka Doncic at least like a season and a half before we're like, oh, this guy is the next Dirk or the next whatever. But I love that before a guy has played an NFL snap, he's Julio Jones, who might be like a top five wide receiver all time when it's said and done. But that's also why the NBA, it takes three or four years to even know who you got. And the NFL, we see these guys, like Christian McCaffrey from day one was the Mm. best receiving running back in the NFL. It's just this year, though, it's, it's so hard to predict. Anyway, the other team that I don't have making the playoffs in the NFC North is... The Chicago Bears. So you got the Lions number one. I have the Lions winning the NFC North. You know, I just entered the BR gridiron. We're doing sort of like this internal picks pool. And one of the questions, the, like one of the tiebreaker questions was who's going to have the most passing yards this season. I'm going Maddie Stafford. I'm I just hype I, up in a second. Let me get through the Bears. Please. Bears have the sixth easiest schedule in the NFL. I think the Bears, by the way, are a huge surprise team. I think the Bears are going to start off quick, and I think that they that um, I don't know that I wonder if the Bears could be the Tennessee Titans of 2019. The, the Tennessee Titans start off with Marcus Mariota. They eventually move to Tannehill. That defense is super strong. They win a lot of one score games and they carry through and they they surprise everyone from the AFC South. If Nick Foles comes out a little bit like Ryan Tannehill did. I, 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 Trubisky can do things. I, I'm not that confident in him. I don't think anybody is. If Nick Foles comes in, I wonder if the Bears could surprise people because I doubted the Titans last year, and it's kind of how I'm feeling about the Bears, but I think that if there's one team that can do it, it's them. What scares me, they were 6-3 and three in one-score games last year. They have Bill Lazor as their new offensive coordinator. Um, I don't get confident by that. I haven't seen him do anything that gets me excited. Um, I think that their cornerbacks took a huge step back last year, um, this this year. And, and I don't think they have a lot of depth, but their front seven can be special. They swap out Leonard Floyd for Robert Quinn. Uh, Robert Quinn had a good year for Dallas. They have the second j- easiest jump from 2019 to 2020 in terms of schedules. And this is another thing that we talked about, the Vikings being on the road. The Bears are disproportionately better when they face dome teams at home in November and December. And they face a number of dome teams at home. Let me see if I can pull it up really quick. They face, um, yeah, they face Detroit at home and then they face Houston at home. So though they have home field advantage, especially late that year. I just look at Chicago and the same way I looked at Tennessee last year and go, I'm just not betting on Trubisky and I don't trust Nagy that much. But I do think they can surprise teams. But let's get to the moneymaker, the Detroit Lions. They are a green go, David Ingber, in all three of my main categories. Nice. They are an eight in terms of easiest schedule. So eighth overall easiest schedule. They were minus five in turnovers. And they were three and eight in one score games. The defense, if the Dolphins or the Patriots South... The Lions or the Patriots Midwest. What they went out there and did, it's I Matt Patricia just went out and got all of his guys 
to add Jamie Collins, um, to add Deron Harmon, Danny Shelton. Um, they replaced Darius Slay with Jeff Akuda, but it's all defensive guys. The D line now is Jamie Collins, Trey Flowers, the Aguara brothers. What's going to be a big question for them is going to be their secondary, but the schedule looks nice. But let's get to what you were saying about Matt Stafford. When Matt Stafford played last year, and by the way, the Lions won zero games without Matt Stafford. Every game they won last year was with Matt Stafford, and here's why. When he played those first eight games, according to metrics, he was the most aggressive. He was the number one quarterback in throwing beyond the sticks. He was the number one in completed air yards. He was the first quarterback ranked in all efficiency rankings. All of them. And all of that was in the first quarter. And what happened was, is I bet against the Lions last year because I thought Daryl Bevel will be conservative. And yet last year, they were aggressive. Until they built up a lead, and then Daryl Bevel came back in the third quarter. Of Matt Stafford's 24 touchdowns, two of them were in the third quarter. They became the most conservative run on first down, run on second down team in the, in the third and fourth quarter. And if you remember, they had a lead on the Chiefs and they blew it. They had a lead on the Packers on Monday Night Football and they blew it. Can Daryl Bevel be aggressive the entire game? That will determine whether or not your Matt Stafford bet comes true. They have the ninth easiest jump in the passing offenses they face. And that's why I have confidence in a very young secondary. Maybe Patricia can figure it out when the schedule gets easier. They go from the third toughest to the ninth easiest overall schedule, third most favorable, and they're all in the middle weeks. The Lions, it's a little bit rough in the beginning, a little bit rough in the end, but they can make a run in the middle. The final five weeks of the year, this will determine if I'm a genius or an idiot. Listen to the, it's at Chicago, tough. Home against the Packers, tough. At Tennessee, so it's a uh, Patricia Vrabel battle. Home against Tom Brady, and then home at the end of the year against the Vikings. I'm going with the Lions to win the North. I think the North is a mess, but I look at Matt Stafford and those passing weapons. I look at all of the, the moves they've made to get depth on the O-line, I don't know who their running back is going to be with Adrian Peterson and Swift and uh, carry on John, but I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking the risk. I'm going with the lions to win the North and I can't believe it. I like it. This is the spiciest, uh, spiciest division winner we've had between the AFC preview that we released the other day. And uh, so far thus far on the uh, NFC. It was preview. funny. I, like it. I was getting alerts this morning of Lefko says Chargers could surprise. And then I got another one that was Lefko says Browns can surprise. And then I got another one that was like, look out for the Steelers. And I was like, man, I'm, but like, it's when you see your picks three or four in a row, you're like, I forgot I made those picks. But oh, they're three, they're, it's three AFC wildcard teams, right? That all, that all tracks right, with the stuff right, that you right, said. Right. So funny. I like it. Plus 450 to win the division. The Detroit Lions are 80 to 1 to win the Super Bowl if you're really feeling spicy. Not going but just that, hard. that seven over under, that feels like you're slamming that. Yeah. The thing that just scares me is I don't like betting on coaches to change their ways. Like, that's part of the reason why I'm betting against Zimmer. That's very um, Warren Sharpie of you, by the way. Yeah. Because 
you just begin to realize that they're the ones that have the control. And we can get really hyped up on players like we did the Browns offense last year. But the big question all offseason was, can Freddie Kitchens do it? We were proven wrong. And that's one reason why I'm a little bit higher on one team in our next division. And I know a lot of people are the Tampa Bay Bucks, where I think all week in the last two weeks, I've been saying we've seen this story before, but if there's one guy that can adapt, it's Bruce Arians. Mm. Um, So that's just my segue to the NFC South. And I'd love to hear the odds on this one. We have the Carolina Panthers at plus 3,000 to win the division over under mm. of five and a half wins. So not even worth thinking about, but for Super Bowl, they're 200 to one. Falcons currently in third, uh, plus 1,000 to win the division or 10 to one odds. Over under at seven and a half. I think they were like seven and nine or six and 10 last year, somewhere in that range. And 50 to one to win the Super Bowl. Never count out Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, but 50 to mm. one. And then you've got the Buccaneers and the Saints kind of tightly bunched together, 12 to one to win the Super Bowl plus 160 to win the division for Tampa Bay. And they are at plus nine and a half over under wins. Wait, what were they to win the division? Plus 160. So okay. basically, you know, a little better than one and a half to one odds. And the Saints, they are 10 to one to win the Super Bowl, tied with the 49ers for the best in the NFC, minus 140 to win the conference. So uh, sorry, to win the division, which means you have to put $140 down in order to win 100. So you have to lay a little bit of juice. And plus uh, they are 10 and a half in the over under department. Mm. You know where I stand on this division. I talk about it all the time. I know you're a big believer in Drew Brees, just like romping to another playoff. Oh, yeah. For me, the, the, the MVP is going to one of two players this year, Russell Wilson or Drew Brees. To me, those are the teams that, that the, the players that are set up from the way they've been discussed. Neither has an MVP. I think both teams will be good, but let me get to the bottom of the of the division. Um, I do think it's going to be Carolina. Um, they they do have good statistics in terms of they were minus fourteen in turnover ratio and turnover uh, uh, disparity. They were two and six in one score games, but this year they have the fifth mo- most difficult schedule. Excuse me, fifth toughest schedule. The question that you have for Carolina is. Can this relationship of Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater and the fact that they were together in New Orleans really pay dividends? Can this guy really be the wonderkind in the next Sean McVay? We saw what he did with Joe Burrow, but that was college. And it's it's a big question mark. It really is. What but does he have to, to do this year? About Carolina. This stat blew me away about Teddy Bridgewater. Shout out to Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater has been a quarterback in 40 games in the NFL. His straight-up record is 25-15. and 15. Incredible. His against-the-spread record, David Ingber, is 31-9. and nine. That makes sense because a lot of people, if you're, if you're not talking about uh, the smart people in Vegas, you're talking about the dummies who bet, right, the, the, the me of the world. We're the people that say, oh, backup quarterback, I'm going for the other team, right? So yeah, that's going to push thing, lines. It wasn't just last year. His record against the spread when he was with Minnesota was 14 and three. Hmm. When he was a first round pick, that's what's incredible about Teddy is we talk about, and we'll talk about this in a second with why I think Tampa Bay will be good because when you go from Jameis Winston to Tom Brady, the turnover margin flips very much in your favor. Yeah. But Teddy Bridgewater does not turn the ball over. 
And so I do believe that Carolina will be better this year, mainly because last year Kyle Allen did and Teddy Bridgewater won't. Um, Teddy's teams also, this is a wild stat, in the four years he's been in the league, all four years his teams have gone over their projected win total. I love that. I know it's it's based on the fact that he was with the Saints and all that, but I just thought that was crazy. One thing that scares me for Carolina, they don't have their buy until week 13, so you have a new coaching staff. Every single draft pick for Carolina was on the defensive side of the ball. Their D-line is completely different. They lost the leader of their franchise in Luke Keekley. They lost the second-place leader of their franchise in Cam Newton. They lost a third-place leader of their franchise in Greg Olson. When I tell you that it's the youngest team in the NFL by far, it's not even close. Um, I just I think Carolina will be a dangerous team, but I in terms of they'll be annoying. They'll be like what the Brooklyn Nets were this year. That's how I see Carolina. They'll spoil um, a couple of other teams' playoff bids down the stretch, and that's the peak of their excitement. Sure, it's fun. Um, the team that I have uh, in third is the Atlanta Falcons mainly because they have the number one toughest schedule in the NFL this year, likely because they have to play the Saints and the Bucs. But they were minus five in turnover ratio, three and three in one score, so not a ton of stuff. They lose Trufant, and I look at their past defense, and people thought that they reached for A.J. Terrell. Well, now that kid's starting at corner with Isaiah Oliver, and they're praying – that Keanu Neal stays healthy when he hasn't for the last two years. And what scares me about that is they face the number one toughest schedule of offenses and pass offenses this year. When you also factor in that the pass rush, they completely changed that and they got rid of Vic Beasley and Adrian Claiborne. Now it's they get Dante Fowler, who could be good, we'll see. Uh, and they're also relying on Marlon Davidson, a rookie out of Auburn, I think that the Falcons are going to let up a lot of points this year. Um, and they, I, I think that they're still doing the defensive coordinator by committee, but it's also Raheem Morris. Um, but that's also a reason why I'm really loving fantasy players for the Falcons. Because if the Falcons want to get into a shootout, I want a piece of Calvin Ridley and Jerry and, and Julio Jones. Um, the fa- they finished the season last year 6-2, and two. They won in San Francisco. They beat the Saints. So this was a team that, look, man, they can they can make it tough for other teams. But in the end, I just thought, do I trust Dan Quinn? And I don't. Um, but I, I think it could be fascinating if every single game, it's Matt Ryan, Todd Gurley, Julio Jones. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, I just said his name. Calvin Ridley. Uh, Calvin Ridley, thank you. Who knows what you're going to get out of Hayden Hurst. And I could see the Falcons bouncing back on the O-line because remember, they went in with all these three first-round picks at center right guard and, and or excuse me, with um, Lindstrom and McGarry. They didn't play great last year, but now they have a year of experience. So the Falcons could be a deep sleepy. Um, I just, I, I think that the other two teams are better. The team that I have winning the a the coming in second in the NFC North is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay, I'm not going to get that crazy. Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the 11th easiest schedule in the uh, league. They are the only team in the NFC South that doesn't have a 
that doesn't have a top 10 difficult schedule. In fact, they had the 11th easiest. Turnover margin last year, they were minus 13. One score games, they were three and six. And you have Tom Brady walking in the building. It's the perfect positive regression team with the perfect quarterback. And so I would not be, that's why if you're going for value in the NFC South, you take the Bucks to win the South. Um, they held leads last year in nine fourth quarters and they won just five of them. Ingber, in the last 30 years, that has happened 0.7% of the time. That's how freakishly of an outlier Jameis Winston can be. They have the eighth easiest schedule through the first eight weeks, 11th easiest overall. They have the second easiest jump in terms of defenses facing year over year. So what a year for Tom Brady to get there. They host three late games this year versus dome teams at home. And the cold is only matched in the NFL by the heat in Florida. So apparently if you look back, Miami and Tampa, when they face dome teams at the end of the year, they win 56% of the time, which is a good amount of number. And this year they face the Falcons at home and the Vikings at home at the end of the year. And there are two other games uh, th that are on the road are at Atlanta and at Detroit. So Brady gets to play in a dome where he is incredible. You know Brady in a dome. Brady – now, I, I didn't Watched count it for years. What's up? I have watched it for years, yes. He puts up numbers. I, the, it, he it's also one of my so much more efficient. It's one of my hills that I will die on when people talk about Peyton Manning stats versus Tom Brady stats. Drew I'm Brees like, oh, too. And Drew Brees. Like, Tom Brady has put up very comparable stats to all those guys. I mean, doesn't have as many touchdowns per year, not as many yards per year, but he was playing 12, 13 games a year in cold-ass East Coast, mm. terrible weather, and still putting up massive numbers. Uh, and Peyton Manning, Total brilliant offensive mind, but if you normalize those stats for indoor-outdoor, I'm sure Brady would look pretty favorable. The Bucks have, a, in my opinion, one glaring weakness, and that is their secondary. They're going to be relying on their safeties, Justin Evans, who played well when he wasn't hurt last year, and rookie Antoine Winfield Jr. And I love a good Antoine Winfield kin. But their corners are very questionable and they face the fourth toughest schedule of passing offenses. But here's why I have faith in Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles and the Bucks had the number one easiest, excuse me, they were the number one team in the NFL last year at stopping the run. And last year, that was against the fourth toughest schedule of run offenses. Didn't matter who they faced with Indomitian Sue and Vita Vea and Shaquille Barrett and, and Jason Pierre-Paul and Devin White and Levante, David, they were able to stop it with just those guys. This year, they go from facing the fourth toughest run offenses to 21st. And so while I think their secondary is young and inexperienced, I'm wondering if Tom Brady doesn't turn the ball over and put them in bad situations, gives them a lead, and they have to dedicate less guys in the box, can Todd Bowles cover up for the weaknesses in the backside, Tampa Bay is undoubtedly a Super Bowl contender, undoubtedly, um, because I have faith in Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, but I am picking the Saints to win the division. Um, 
all of my stuff that's usually green light is red. And I'm, I'm going against my numbers here, Ingber, and this could backfire in my face gloriously. 23rd easiest schedule, so bottom 10, plus 15 in turnover ratio, se- uh, seven and one in one score games last year. Doesn't look good. If I, if I told you that, Ingber, the, that the, the Saints had the fir- fifth worst record at home against the spread, but the best road record against the spread in the last six years, would you find that surprising? Um, I would imagine. It blew me away. Yeah, that that they just are crushing it on the road against the spread. Is that like people just like don't think Breeze can rise to the occasion outside of New Orleans? This is my this is my season long Lefko betting advice for the Saints. Every year when the Saints go on the road, people go, Drew Breeze isn't in a dome. Drew Brees needs home. And then when they play at home, everyone goes, man, that Superdome is tough. It's an example of a storyline and a, and a perception in our brains being one way, and it's been the absolute opposite. The Saints have had the fifth worst at, at, against the spread home record in the last six years and the number one best road against the spread record. So when you're betting games this year and you see the Saints are on the road and you go, oh man, they're outdoors, just remember that Vegas is taking that into account and pushing it so hard the other way that they're the number one road team against the spread. I found that fascinating. Yeah, and this, by the way, gets to the heart of something that you and I talk about a lot, which is that you can talk about NFL gambling lines without being a gambler yourself. You can still find it interesting for a variety of ways because NFL lines seen through a certain lens are just NFL storylines manifested through numbers. And it's that if America believes Drew Brees is going to wilt on the road, the numbers will reflect that. So even if you're not the sort of person that puts money down and you're not, you're not a big gambler yourself, you can still gain all sorts of interesting insights like that. There is always value in betting with Kirk Cousins on primetime because everyone bets against them, you know? And, and so that's the notion of perceived value, but that blew me away. They have a really tough schedule this year. Uh, six toughest pass defenses. So Drew Brees is going to be up against it. And the defense that I think is really good place faces the seventh toughest schedule of offenses. Mm-hmm. But what I do like is they face seven teams that are supposed to be above 500 and they face five of them at home. I'm not talking about against the spread right now. I'm just talking about wins or losses. The Saints have a great home record. They're just not great against the spread at home because it's pumped up too much, and you always want to face teams at home. So five of the seven teams above 500 are at home, and Sean Payton and Drew Brees, when they play on the road, if they face a team that is under 500 since 2016, they're 10-2. and on the road. Mm. So they if they play a losing team on the road, they beat the crap out of them and they face five of them this year. The reason I'm not afraid of the schedules, the reason I'm not afraid of the one-score games is I looked through and the Saints have by far the fewest rookies on their team because that's how deep they are. I think that they have playmakers at every level, offense and defense. I think they're one of the deepest offensive lines in the NFL. They finally got a number two wide receiver. I've talked about them so much. I just think that with the Bucks being better and the schedule being tougher, I'm going to walk back my 
Saints are going to be 14 and 2, 13 and 3. And to me, I see the Saints more as an 11 and 5. I, I could see the Saints and the Bucks both finishing 11 and 5, but the Saints winning the division by a tiebreaker. Sure. That's how I see the South. Um, yeah, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't find enough value in minus 140 for right. the division there. I would probably, if I had to put money down on one of these teams, I would go for the Buccaneers just because you're getting a lot more juice. For me, I would go Buccaneers to win the division, and then I might do a separate bet of like Saints to win the NFC. Sure. I mean, the Saints are just due for some goddamn playoff luck at some point, right? <laughs> Those poor Saints fans. Uh, the amount of universal karma that the Saints have built up in successive years, they lost the Minnesota Miracle. Right, they Stephon lost Diggs. Pass interference screw job. And then you lose to Kirk Cousins at home. The Kyle Rudolph touchdown, like right on the tiptoes of the end zone, right? And when you then factor in, as I've said, because I I think that the Saints are now the tightest team in the NFL after what happened with Drew Brees and the defense with Malcolm Jenkins and Demario Davis being there. I think the storylines are all there. It, I'm just if if I really feel like this is the Drew Brees MVP, Saints win a Super Bowl year. Uh, that's just kind of what I keep feeling, and I I just want to keep saying it because if it if I don't go with that and it happens, I'll be so upset. I'm just gonna look up Drew Brees' Super Bowl uh, MVP odds real quick. I think quick. he's at plus twenty two hundred. Twenty two to one. He's plus eighteen hundred. What I'm seeing right now. So yeah. So somewhere in that so range. I've been That's... talking about it too much because last week it was plus twenty two hundred. <laughs> What's Russell Wilson? Uh, I just closed it. Um, let's take a look here. Russell oh, Wilson 2000? is eight to one plus eight hundred. Plus eight hundred. He was at twenty to one. Well, that, I mean, yeah, that's coming down. Wow. This is a man, by the way, one of my favorite, cra- not my favorite in terms of I enjoy it, but it just a stat that is crazy is that Russell Wilson has never once received an MVP vote. That's going to change this year, pal. Big time. Uh, all right, what's the NFC West, which I believe the NFC West uh, is, uh, is going to be rivaling the AFC North in terms of top-tier teams? Yeah, so the Cardinals are, uh, once again, v- kind of bunched together, but the Cardinals slated to go in fourth place, according to Vegas, and they have a seven and a half over-under, right? So we're, mm. we're looking at a very possible – I don't know if this has ever happened in NFL history, but could you imagine if all four teams in a division finished over 500? It wouldn't be mathematically impossible. It would be very I'm, close. What, what you just told me, I'm double, I'm double betting on the Cardinals. Okay, so plus – 800 to win the division, 60 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. If you really love Kyler Murray, Murray you know, it's a nice little MVP sprinkle yeah, right his? there. Uh, I think he was like 3,300. It's pretty solid. Second year, Mahomes uh, won the MVP in his second year. True. Lamar Jackson won the MVP in his second year. Could we go three in a row? Could we go Kyler Murray second year? Same offensive coordinator, weapons all over the place, makes a huge jump and secures MVP. It's definitely possible. Might be pretty good for 33 to 1. My my only suggestion on that is that I feel like there are three legit teams that would keep him from winning the division. And it's very tough. I feel like it's very tough to win MVP as a quarterback if you're not, you know, winning eleven or twelve games. Totally. Cardinals could do it. All right. So Cardinals are uh, in, projected to go fourth. Rams predicted to go third, eight and a half wins. Sean McVay always finishes over 500, plus 600 to win the division, and 50 to one to win the Super Bowl. Sounds like you're high on the Rams the way you read all those things. 
I just think like Sean McVay makes playoff runs and he went nine and seven last year and had all sorts of awful luck. Didn't he? Uh, like this is, it, it's just because of the two teams that they have. It just, it just so happens that maybe like three of your seven favorite NFC teams happen to be in the same division. Mm. And it just stinks for the Rams, but 50 to one, you don't think Sean McVay could throw together like a, an offense comparable to what he did two years ago and just run through the league. Not no, possible. I don't. Okay. The, the main reason, and I'll get into it later is, um, the, the offensive weapons have never been this shallow. You know, it's uh, – I like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, but it's a big drop-off with Reynolds. Uh, and then – Reynolds has some sneaky fantasy games, though, where you're like, oh, you're interesting. Yeah, but like you saying sneaky fantasy is a guy that might get you seven points and be like, <laughs> oh, that was a pretty good pickup. And I'm over here being like, when you look at their statistics with either Sammy Watkins, Brandon Cooks, or Reynolds as a third wide receiver, it drops off a cliff – uh, and the other thing that scares me is when you say the Rams defense, everyone's going to go, ooh, Aaron Donald, ooh, Jalen Ramsey. They have so little depth at every position because of how much money they had to pay Gurley. They're still paying Gurley. How much money they paid Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. They're so I'm very down on the Rams this year, but I'll get into that. But how do the, uh, the top two, who's predicted to win out of Niners or Seahawks? Seahawks are 12 to 1 for the Super Bowl, plus 220 to win the division, over under 9.5. 49ers, a little edging them out, 10 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, minus 110 to uh, win the division. So basically, Vegas is saying there's about a 55% chance the 49ers take this division and 10.5 on the over under wins. I also thought, right, 12 to 1 for the Seahawks to win the Super Bowl, 10 to 1 for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl, 50 to 1 for the Rams. I am going to, as soon as I get done, go put money on the Seahawks to go over nine and a half wins and win the division. That's incredible value. You could parlay that for like four and a half, five to one, probably. If that's possible, I will do it. The only thing I don't like doing is I don't like what I've learned is well, I you don't might not like be able to parlay those because they would affect Because then I don't get to touch my money for four months. <laughs> right. And I'd rather just buy Kyler Murray rookie cards. Okay. Fourth place, the LA Rams. Uh, 26th, uh, so they have the sixth, uh, toughest schedule three and three and one score games. You look at their defense and I mean, it's all gone. Like nothing, no one even exists anymore. They lost Corey Littleton, their best, uh, covering linebacker, Dante Fowler, their best pass rusher, not named Aaron Donald, Eric Weddle, their safety, Nicole Roby Coleman, their best slot corner, Clay Matthews. And now their linebackers are Howard and Young. They're going to rely on Ebucam a lot. They have uh, Taylor Rapp starting at safety right now. And I, their defense is just a mess. And their defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley, was, the def- was Denver Broncos linebackers coach last year. Like, I don't, I just don't know who he is. And my other issue, and this is just me being very honest with my bias, I think Jared Goff is anywhere between 16 and 22 in terms of quarterbacks that can do things by themselves. Uh, I don't think Gurley had a great year. Uh, I know that we talked to Andrew Whitworth and he thinks the offensive line is going to be deeper because they got experience. Um, I don't know if if Cam Akers is the guy to get it done. Um, 
They face the seventh toughest schedule. I, that's I said six earlier. I meant seventh. I did bad math. They pay, they face the second toughest schedule of run defenses. So even if it is Cam Akers, even if it is Daryl Henderson, they're now facing the second toughest schedule of run defenses. And last year, when they faced a top ten run defense, they went one and five. When they faced a team that wasn't, they went eight and two. Everything is based off of the run for Sean McVay. I still don't like his offensive line. I still don't like his quarterback. I'm just being honest. Uh, other than Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, I don't have faith that he's going to run a lot of uh, two tight end sets uh, because even last year they ran a lot of 11. If he does run 12, he can absolutely prove me wrong. Um, but I think that there's a part of Sean McVay that's obsessed with 11. But now is the year to play 12. Keep Reynolds off the field. Go Cup, go Woods, go Higby. Um, I just think that they need to be smart, and I don't think they will. And I think their defense stinks. Coming in third, I think it's going to be the Arizona Cardinals. Um, this is a statistic about Kyler Murray that blew me away. Kyler threw last year for over 3,500 completed more than 60% of his passes and threw for more than 20 touchdowns in the history of the NFL. Only two other rookie quarterbacks have done that. And neither of them ran for over 300 yards. Kyler Murray ran for over 500 yards in all of the NFL. There have been two quarterbacks to do the over 3,500, over 60%, over 20 touchdowns, and over 500 yards, and their names are Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. Kyler Murray did that in his first year with an injured offensive line, without Christian Kirk for most of the season, without his tight ends. Kyler Murray did that in his first year. Now he comes out there, and they get DeAndre Hopkins, they faced the easiest schedule to start the season in terms of overall for their defense. But their last six games, they faced five tw top 12 defenses. So Kyler Murray, if you look at this team, they face Sunday night football, San Francisco. If Kyler Murray pulls out that game, and he played very well against San Francisco last year. I remember San Francisco had to pull out some miracle wins to get it done. They then face Washington at home, W, Detroit at home, they have the advantage, at Carolina, just talked about how young that defense is going to be, at the Jets. You're telling me they couldn't start off the year 5-0 and and give themselves a little bit of a head start? Arizona is a very, very interesting bounce back. They were 3-4-1 and one in one-score games. Their schedule is around 14th. But if you believe in the second-year sophomore jump, what we saw Mahomes, what we saw Lamar, and if you believe that Kyler is at that level, in which I do, I am probably underselling the, the, the Cardinals. And I literally might go and throw a little bit of money on Kyler at the MVP because it's setting up to be beautiful. It really is. I'm now seeing him at uh, about plus 2,600. So uh, my, 26 my plus 3,300 is old. That was from last week. I can't believe Russ is down to eight. Wow. Okay. Uh, the other thing that I will say that excites me about Arizona, but you're relying on a rookie. They were the worst team in the NFL last year defending running backs and tight ends. And then they get Isaiah Simmons. 
So I'm excited to watch. This isn't betting or gambling. This is just as a football fan. Isaiah Simmons versus George Kittle and the Niners running backs. I'm excited to see Isaiah Simmons versus Greg Olson and Chris Carson for the for the uh, the Seahawks. I'm excited to see him against Higby and uh, Cam Akers. But I, I'm I'm wondering how much could Isaiah Simmons improve that defense? Um, but Cardinals are interesting. The team that I have coming in second is the San Francisco 49ers. So I have the Seahawks winning the division. The Niners were five and three in one score games and plus four in turnovers. Not a big fan of both. They faced the 13th toughest offenses last year. So the Niners had this historically great defense. But Amber, you'll remember when we were saying that the Patriots defense was for fool's gold, we were also saying that the Niners defense was fool's gold a little bit. They lose to Forrest Buckner. Uh, which is a big loss in the middle of that defense. And I know they get Javon Kinlaw, but you're subbing in a, an, an all-pro for a rookie. It's going to be a step back. The defensive stats that when you look, you want to be high in pressures because sacks aren't guaranteed. Sacks are the turnovers of that category. And the, the numbers, when you look at them, were a little bit inflated. They also trailed only one time by seven or more points in the second half. And to me, that gave me Kyle Shanahan, Atlanta Falcons 2016 vibes, where the Falcons defense was good because the Shanahan offense was putting pressure on the defense the entire time. That's not sustainable. I just don't think it's sustainable. So I get worried about the defense regressing. The first five weeks of the year, Niners are jumping out. Second easiest schedule the first five weeks of the year. They could absolutely make a run early and have us talking about Super Bowl. They're going to be back, but I see them dropping back to earth. First, four of their first five games, three of their first five games are Jets, Giants, Dolphins. It just, it lines up nice. After week six, third toughest schedule in the NFL. Rams, Patriots, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and then they go into their bye. That's tough. They have three primetime games against non-West Coast teams. So the Eagles have to come across the country playing primetime. Um, the uh, Packers on Thursday night football and the Buffalo Bills on Monday night football. That's a huge advantage for the West Coast team with the body clocks and then the team has to travel and all that stuff. Um, and they face the third toughest run defense schedule this year. So that's why I get worried if the Niners can't just run teams to death, what happens then with that secondary where other than Richard Sherman, I get a little bit worried about Witherspoon and Williams uh, and, and will they be able to get as much pass rush? But I think the Niners are going to be good. Uh, I think the Niners are going to be a 10 and six football team. I just don't think they're going to be 13 and three. And I think Jimmy G is going to prove a lot of people wrong. Number one team I have is is really a risky move because I don't like their O-line or their D-line. Seattle Seahawks. I can't, I'm doing this. I'm going against my numbers in both in both divisions with the Saints and the Seahawks. You got to do it too, though. Like multiple data points. That's the spice of life. Totally. Seahawks were plus 12 in turnovers. Hate that. 10 and 2 in one score games. But that's right. How do you even win 10 one score games? That's just I feel so unlikely. Russell Wilson had to come back in like seven games last year. And they just didn't have to be that year way. They have three new offensive linemen. They lose Shadavian Clowney. 
Their D-line just does not have that much depth. And we have to bet on Brian Schottenheimer, more importantly, Pete Carroll, letting Russ cook. Since 2016, excuse me, with Russell Wilson as their quarterback, when Seattle leads at halftime, they are 65-7. and The Seahawks constantly start conservative, run on first, run in second, and then go, Russ, save me. (laughs) If the Seahawks finally flip it around and let Russ throw to the two best wide receivers he's had in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, and now he's got Greg Olson at tight end, who's reliable as shit, they're 65-7 and when they lead at half. And since 2016, so it's like mature Russ, 27 and two. That's why I'm betting on the Seahawks. If they jump out to leads this year, game over. Do you have confidence that they they could change up their mentality? Do you have confidence they could change up that mentality and just like let him cook in in a way? Because I know you and Warren have both complained on this very podcast about uh, just how rigid Pete Carroll can be. Adjusting is because all off season they've been having to answer questions about it. It has a, it's called let Russ cook. It's like a campaign. Yeah. Every time I read articles from Seattle, it's either the offensive coordinator, Pete Cowell or Russ talking about throwing more early in games. And so to me, it's one of those things where the entire public is now aware of this. And I but think they're finally held accountable. That could have the opposite effect, though. That could make the coaching staff be like, screw all these people that think they know more than us. We're going to run on first, second, and third down. Screw you guys. And I, and I think that if they're smart, they'll realize that they can be harrowed as, as leaders and innovators. And I think it flips this year. Um, the reason that I have less confidence in Green Bay and, and what scares me a little bit about Detroit is they keep going out and investing in running backs and not wide receivers, where when I look at the Seahawks, um, they finally got receiving options for Russ, uh, and I'm excited. Uh, I, I think that their D-line scares me. Um, I think that their secondary, I think that when I look at why I think they're going to have faith, some, some faith in the run or some success in the run, stopping the run, Diggs and Jamal Adams might be the best safety do in the NFL, but with, with Adams and their uh, linebacker pick in the first round out of Texas Tech, I think they can play a hybrid defense that allows them to have a lot of speed and safety on the field and can help out, but also help stop the run. I like Puna Ford, but man, they do not have a lot of depth in that D line. And that O line is, is really, really scary, but I, I Like I said, my two top candidates for MVP are Drew Brees and Russell Wilson, so I have to have those teams up there. So I have them in the playoffs. So that's my NFC West, and I believe now I'm ready to break down the, uh, the playoffs, bro. Let's hear it. Okay. Seven teams. Should I go? So my number one seed in the NFC is Dallas. I believe – that last year I said that the Baltimore Ravens will be the number one seed in the AFC. My big pick is I think the Dallas Cowboys are the number one seed in the NFC. And I think, and I imagine you could get a pretty decent prop odds, like 10 or 11 to one or something like that for them to have the best record overall. That's a, that's a little tasty. They have the, 
continuation that I want in my coaching staff on the offensive side. They have the easiest division uh, in terms of bottom feeders, in terms of Giants and Washington. Um, and I also think that Dak is an MVP candidate too, if you want to be, be honest. Like Dak, Russell, and Breeze, I would say, are my top three guys. Um, I have Dallas finishing around 13-3. and three. I have Seattle as my two seed around 12 and four. I have the Saints as my three seed at 11 and five. And I have the Lions winning the NFC North, so they're my four seed. I love it. The five seed, I have the Bucks at 11 and five. The sixth seed, I have San Francisco at 10 and six. And then my seven seed, I believe, will be between Arizona and Philadelphia. And I'm going Arizona. I don't. Um, my Eagles. I don't think my Eagles make the playoffs. Um, I think that Jim Schwartz's defense gets exposed this year. I think Carson Wentz. People finally realize how good he is. I think he's going to carry this team again. Uh, and I think that's the shining star. Is that after really solidifying himself last year, he shows he's a superstar this year. Um, I just I, I really like Arizona, and so I'm taking them over them for the seventh spot. And if everything works out the way you said, I really look forward to Tom Brady gleefully hanging 45 points on Matt Patricia's defense in round one. So, I the 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 most fun part about doing the the playoff matchups is the storylines are always great. So Dallas has a bye. Your four or five matchup is what you just said. It would be Tom Brady in Detroit taking on Patricia. And it would be Brady saying, like, I would have three more rings right now if you hadn't let up 25 points here and there and 40 points to Nick Foles. It's an epic matchup between, I think, Stafford and Brady both have big years. So they people are like, I think Stafford's going to pass a lot of people in the all-time career yardage ranks. and Totally. It's, be a, and it's also Gronk, and I think Hawkinson's going to have a big year, and he's going to be baby Gronk. I think it's a great matchup. In the end, though, I trust Tom Brady more. I think it's a really good game, but I see the Bucks winning that game. It is then the New Orleans Saints hosting the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, it that was like a huge shootout up. last year. It was the game of the year in the regular season between those teams. Um, it's also Emmanuel Sanders, mm. formerly of the, the, the Niners, now on the Saints. Um, and I... I think that in the end, I trust the lines more. I love the lines of both teams, but I think that I just trust Drew Brees and Sean Payton at home. Saints win. Great matchup, though. Unbelievable game. And then that means also that the 2-7 matchup is an NFC West battle of Russell Wilson of the Seahawks hosting Kyler Murray and the Cardinals. This is the one that is the scariest. It's Russ versus Baby Russ, right? Russ versus Baby Russ. Innovative Cliff Kingsbury have to beat a team in the third matchup of the year. Mm, always. And the Cardinals always perform well in Seattle. Like, I would love to pull it up, but I feel like every time the Cardinals play well in Seattle, I think Kenyon Drake played great there last year. 
It's one of those things like within divisions, like when St. Louis wasn't good, but they always managed to beat, uh, like play well against the Seahawks and the mm. 49ers. It's just one of those familiarity things. Totally. I'm going to go Seahawks, though. I don't think it ends that quickly, but I do think that Kyler Murray puts on a show um, as the reigning MVP. Okay, just kidding. Um, so that means we are left with Dallas, the one. So I, I went chalk except for Detroit. Dallas, the one. Seattle, the two. New Orleans, the three. Tampa, the four, which means Tampa plays Dallas in mm. Dallas. Woo! Tampa goes into Dallas and wins. So Tom Brady is now marching in the playoffs. Collision course for Drew Brees, you're saying. Ooh. In the other matchup, Seattle is hosting New Orleans. Mm -hmm. It is the return of Drew Brees after the beast quake. 2011. And I think that New Orleans goes into Seattle and beats them. So two road upsets in the divisional round. You know what? I might change that. Hmm. Oof. Yeah, that's the question is, do you trust Dallas in the playoffs after a bye against a I'm going to flip mine live. New Orleans goes into Seattle and wins. Dallas wins against Tampa Bay at home. Wow. Dallas wins against Tampa Bay at home. Amari Cooper with an enormous day. Enormous. So it's Dallas hosting New Orleans. And I see New Orleans going to the Super Bowl. So I have New Orleans as a three seed making a run beating Dallas in the NFC championship game. And it is going to be the saints taking on the chiefs in the super bowl. What did you think about what I just went through right there? Uh, I think if you're going to believe in the bucks, that means you believe that their offense is going to be clicking by January. And I think they might like steam. They might like not take anyone by surprise, but I think like they might just like get become that team of momentum in uh, neutral field situations and just, take things down and Gronk plays himself into shape and Mike Evans is as good as we all like wondered how good he could be without, you know, Jameis throwing it 10 feet over his head. It would be wild if Tom, Tom Bray and Tampa Bay get to the Super Bowl and it's in Tampa. Yeah. But the thing is what we say every single year is there's uh, two teams that are destined to meet, whether it's, you know, Colts against Patriots or Steelers against, uh, you know, Ravens versus Steelers. I feel like, Everyone believes Brady versus Breeze is destined to happen, right? And that you know what? I'm flipping it back because you're absolutely right. Just like the Ravens last year, where Lamar Jackson won MVP and they surprised, and Dallas is my surprise team. Just like the Ravens after a bye came out flat against Vrabel, I think Dallas might come out a little bit flat. I put too much in that bye. Tom Brady in Tampa versus Drew Breeze in the NFC Championship game. It's magical. It has to happen. Market, we said it here first, folks. Yes, and then the Saints are going to the Super Bowl. In Tampa Bay, Saints versus Chiefs. Wow. What a game that would be, huh? Ah, the best. And the, the Saints have been champing at the bit. Not chomping at the bit. They've been champing, champing at the bit, bit for three years, waiting for a, a tasty piece of a Super Bowl field uh, that they have been, they've been deserving to go to several times. 
Um, and I do believe the Saints would have clobbered the Patriots in 2018. The Patriots couldn't even score 13 you know, or more mm. points against the Rams. That The that Saints want that ring, and then Brady gets it right off into the play sunset. Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, yeah. Trick play a palooza. Because Kyle Shanahan's offense is phenomenal, and it's a lot of the tricks are going to be a lot more reverses and oh shit screens when you all roll to the right and you throw it to the tight end on the back. But Sean Payton and Andy Reid are opening half onside kick trick play, wide receiver throw trick play. Clyde um, Edwards Hilaire throws a touchdown. I know, play. I know that there is a good possibility that my buddy Patrick Mahomes is listening to this but I'm picking against him in the Super Bowl. I'm sticking with what I've been saying since March. I've said two things since March that I believe in, that the Saints are winning the Super Bowl, and in three years, Joe Burrow is taking the Bengals back to the promised land, and I'm sticking with both of them. I think the Saints are your Super Bowl champion over the Chiefs after an epic championship game week against Tom Brady, and really my number one hope for the season is that we get through it healthy, and that there aren't crazy weeks where nothing's happening. I cannot believe that the NFL season starts tomorrow night or tonight. I cannot believe that it's here. Like I was texting with, with NFL players this week and I was like, it just doesn't make sense. And it, it, it feels like it's here so quickly, but I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm, I got my fantasy teams locked up. Now my predictions are in. Uh, I'm talking to sources again. We're getting ready for the season. I just I can't believe it's here, David. It's it's been a journey. It does not feel like it's been fast. It feels like the NFL season ended four lifetimes ago. Uh, but I'm glad it's here. I'm glad it's something to do on Sundays. It, I'm glad I have an excuse to watch 11 hours of television uh, for the next. Uh, and and if we were going to go macro, I am fascinated at what the ratings are going to be. I am fascinated at how popular Red Zone is going to be. People need to understand that the NBA games that are on ABC on a Monday and a Tuesday night are four or TNT are four and five Xing what they normally do at this time. NFL, Sunday night football, Monday night football. Like it, it will be interesting if there's Thursday night football competing with playoff basketball. Mm hmm especially if it's like a week game. But I'm fascinated at how much business DraftKings and FanDuel is going to get. Um, it the, the amount of attention that's going to go on this is really, really incredible. And that's the other aspect of this. I'm just, I'm curious how much of a fever pitch it gets to. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. There's going to be a lot of people dying to get into those stadiums. I just want everyone to stay safe out there. Who is your Super Bowl uh, matchup? You've listened to me talk for now three hours on this. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, Seahawks versus Ravens. Ravens. Love that. How do you, do you think your Patriots win the division? I do. I think they sneak in. I, I just, Belichick wants to prove, as much as Brady wants to put up stats and prove that it's all him down there, that it hasn't been Belichick this whole time, Belichick wants to do the same thing. Oh. I think he wants to win every single game 16 to 9. Man. I am, I am excited for Cam Newton, just to, to end it on the Patriots. I'm excited for Cam Newton to prove so many people wrong. Mm -hmm. it, it really angers me the way that people talk about an MVP in this league and what he's capable of and don't look at the situation that their owner was forced out 
because of misogynistic and harassment in his organization. They got rid of the entire team and it was all put on his feet. And I'm excited for him to prove people wrong. Redemption Hit me story. up, guys, uh, at Adam Lefko on social. Let me know what your predictions are. Uh, if you're in the LFGL, good luck. I'm excited for that. Uh, and we hope to have more information sort of about what the breakdowns of the shows will be. We're kind of waiting on the big wigs at Bleacher Report to make some decisions. So hopefully we get that soon. But just know that I'm going to do as much work as I can to inform you guys and have fun. And if you have ideas for the show, always hit me up. You know I'm down to listen. For David Ingber. Watch Gridiron Heights. Watch Underrated. Watch Untold Story. Watch Fantasy Fire Drill and Squad Ride. We've been working all summer trying to get you some pandemic-style new content. Your boys are in it. Your friends are in it. A lot of people you don't see on camera have been working their butts off all summer to make fresh, new, exciting premium shows for you. Please check them out on Bleacher Report. Hey, let me, let me, I want a funny one though too. For David Ingber. <laughs> I don't have a funny one. That was the one I was excited about. I like that. I don't have a funny one. Uh, that was funny. Uh, I'm the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man, good luck to your teams. Good luck to your fantasy teams. Good luck to your bets. And good luck to all the sports cards you have. May they all rise in value.